the family members would go out to lunch and say, hey, we're doing a five-day training school. We're in day two and a half. The manual's on the desk. We're not going to be coming back from lunch. Go ahead, take over. I was maybe 24, 23, and they'd say, yeah, you're on. I'd never been through the school, uh, but I was charged with actually educating that group of people who were sitting there from all over the country, and I was going to tell them how to be in this business. So that's how I learned. Um, it was really the school of hard knocks, and the expectations were exceedingly high, but credit them with all that I learned you know, to be able to launch into a career thereafter that has really been um, multiple decades of just spewing all of their ideas and um, their ways of thinking. Welcome to the DME Coach Podcast, where we teach you how to win in the home health care and durable medical equipment post-apocalypse. Today, we have a very special guest for our seventh podcast. We have Miriam Lieber. Miriam is one of the industry-leading consultants in our industry for over 20 years. And the nice thing about me getting to interview her is I got to ask her about her past, how she got into consulting because you just don't stumble into durable medical equipment consulting and she tells a funny story of when she first met me all the way back in 2004-2005. So Miriam has been consulting with myself both paid and unpaid over the last 15 years. She has done a remarkable job growing our team. I could tell you success story after success story but uh, today, we have the pleasure of listening to Miriam tell us about what she is learning and who she is as a consultant. Miriam consults, trains, and coaches managers, leaders, CEOs in the home health care and DME industry. Here is my interview with Miriam Lieber from a few weeks ago. Good afternoon, Miriam. How are you? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Eric. How about you? Uh, like we were talking about uh, uh, pre-before the record, it's I said good morning, and it's like 2 in the afternoon right now, which tells you about my day, but it's, it's actually been a wonderful week so far. More wins than losses, and uh, so I'll just start. How do I know you, Miriam? Oh, my goodness. You know, Eric, you know what pops into my head when I think of you? I go back to a seminar I was giving somewhere in the Seattle area. Probably 2005, just so you know. Okay. For one of the um, distributors. It's Cardinal. I can't remember. It was Cardinal. Mm -hmm. And you sat very close to the front or in proximity to me such that I saw your body language the entire time. It's like we were having our own meeting. Um, that's what I remember about you. It was, you were kind of, I would say a little bit on the green side, maybe looking and yearning for, give me everything. I got to soak this up. This is what this is. It was almost like this light bulb was going off and I watched it in its, in its tracks without you saying one word. And you're exactly right. You're nice. You said I was green. I was beyond green. You, I, I, words like hick pick codes and other things, I didn't even know what that meant in 2005, which tells you how little 
DME knowledge I had. So um, you you were like, finally, someone knows what they're talking about. So I just soaked it up. I I went home to seal it and told my owner everything that you said that day. But yes, that was our very first uh, meeting and. You've been teaching me actually uh, the last 15 years. So I, I, a large part of Howard's and what I've done is, hey, what has Miriam taught us? So um, it's kind of weird. Well, actually, that's when you very think about kind. It. That's very kind and can't be just what I've done. So there you go. Yeah. I really am glad, though, that we met because I, when I have a picture of someone in my mind like that day, like it was yesterday, obviously you made an impression. And that's great. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, so anyway, you've listened to a few of my podcasts before. I always like to start, mm-hmm. what's your high-low for the week? And the reason why I like to do that is, you know, uh, I don't want to paint everything perfect where, hey, we're perfect. These are all of our highs, but I also want lows because, like, as you've taught me consulting, hey, what can we learn from what we've uh, kind of gone through? And I'll mm-hmm. start to just kind of break break the uh, – break the uh, – Ice. ice. Uh, yeah. So first, uh, my high this week is we have a w- our our business is putting on an in service for physical therapists and occupational therapists. We're flying in a uh, occupational therapist from uh, outside the state of Washington. He's coming in. He's putting on a, a little four hour in service for CEUs on uh, elevating seats as well as um, how to as a clinician do better chart notes. And our, it's one of those things, we are almost sold out. And at the time, a couple weeks ago, I was like, are we going to have more than three people? This is going to be a disaster. And now we're almost sold out. So that is hands down the highlight of my week. Um, low light, my kids have been sick, like to the point of like going calling the doctor after hours, which always makes things hard. So that's been the low light this week because it's like, how do you do business with family? But that's kind of a walk we all have to make, those of us that have family. <laughs> so how about you? What's your high-low for the week, Miriam? Wow, I have a couple highs. And I, um, on two different, one personal and one professional, I had a fantastic meeting this week with a university health system that is going to be getting into this business, meaning they're going to be starting uh, the business from scratch, having been in a relationship with a bunch of DMEs for many years, um, and just being able to talk shop with them about candidly what I think the industry looks like today, current state, and where it's going, future state, and a little bit of a, you know a slot on who they are um, as a company, as well as what they'll need going forward to make this work um, and being able to share with them in a very candid way um, sort of a little bit of my, my experience and what I think applies to today and then what I think you got to be looking forward to. So it really is nice to be able to capture all of that in about seven hours. Of course, we scratched only the surface, but sure. it was just invigorating. Um, and they were really well thought out questions that they posed. They gave me, I think, between 30 and 40 questions um, to prepare for. And I just really enjoyed um, just the banter. So that was the high. The low um, on a professional level was a company I was at where um, the owner was a company similar in size to yours, where the owner is involved, but much more of a salesperson driven organization. And they didn't want to 
take a part so much in the operations and but want it to improve. Um, and so for me, the low part of that, there was a lot of high there. But the low part for me in terms of operationally is I really wished they had wanted to know more about what goes on inside the operation. Mm -hmm. Because I, as you know, I feel strongly that it it's a top-down matter and it emanates from the top. And if you don't really take an interest, it's really challenging to get your staff to take that ultimate sincere interest in the betterment of the company. And um how do you do that? And how do you bridge the gap? So it's a great challenge for me, and I accept the challenge, um, but it, it made me pause, if that makes any sense. I it wanted does. them to be maybe who they're not. And so I get, you know, I have to get my arms around that, and I'm okay with that. Not everybody's going to be who I am, and not everybody's going to be Eric, but who they are is where I have to meet them. And it's about them. It's not about me. So that's, that was my low. And, on, you know, on a personal high and low, um, today is my daughter's birthday, and so she lives in state for school. She's a freshman in college, so I came up to be with her on her birthday. Oh, good um, for you. And awesome. So I decided um, life is short. I think, you know, for everyone in every community, there's a lot of life perspective. But, of course, I'm from Los Angeles, so you can imagine that what happened to Kobe sort of was sobering for a lot of people in the L.A. area. Um, it, of course, made me stop and say, so what is important, Miriam? And if you feel the need to go see your daughter on her birthday, you live once and you never want to say you have a regret. So Amen. here I am doing my work from coffee shops and the car while she goes to school so that I can take her to dinner. So that's a high and the low is seeing my elderly parents uh -huh. and understanding how vulnerable they are. Being able to see them is a blessing, but understanding a little bit more about just mortality and finality and just as, um, as they drift away a little bit, how end of an era it starts to feel and just coming to grips with it and understanding that's mm -hmm. also life, life cycle, but it doesn't mean it's easy. So there you go. You have yeah. both highs and lows. I, you know, one of the things I love about you, Miriam, is you, you bring it a hundred percent, three sixty, and I. That's what that's what I like about you, and that's why you've been such a great, uh, great consultant for me. You know, unpaid and paid over the last fifteen years. <laughs> so, you know, let, let's let, let me ask the first question: How did you get into consulting? How did you become this? Uh, I should have thought of a better word, word, but guru, how did you become this HME, <laughs> like know everything? How, how did that happen? Or were you just born with it? No, I'm still learning, first of all. So I'm never not learning. That's the first. That, so whatever, for whatever it is, I don't care who you are, you're learning. And I'm always open to learning. So that's the first thing. I came to be in this industry because um, I worked for a family-owned business. And much like you, and I had to know it from the inside out. There was no question that the expectation of me exceeded that of anybody else because I was, quote, family. And that um, if something went wrong, it was on me, on my onus, and I had better perform. So I didn't really have a choice but <laughs> to learn. Um, so if I gave you an example, let me see if I can give you an example. I, we were uh, a company that had two DME companies in its day very early on. Um, did some billing practices, thought they were a little complicated, developed a software package. From there, some of the some of their friends started to say, hey, can you do my billing? So it became a billing service. 
Um, from there, people said, hey, wait a second, we want to do this in our operations, license the software. But what happened was the owners, who were the family members, would go out to lunch and say, hey, we're doing a five-day training school. We're in day two and a half. The manual's on the desk. We're not going to be coming back from lunch. Go ahead, take over. No and way. I was, I was, oh, yeah, I was maybe 24, 23. And they'd say, yeah, you're on. I'd never been through the school, uh, but I was charged with actually educating that group of people who were sitting there from all over the country, and I was going to tell them how to be in this business. So that's how I learned. Um, it was really the school of hard knocks. Buckle I was, up, um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the expectations were exceedingly high, but credit them with all that I learned, you know, to be able to launch into a career thereafter that has really been um, multiple decades of just spewing all of their ideas and um, their ways of thinking. So one was a finance genius and the other was a school teacher and together they made a great pair. So I feel really fortunate to have actually now in hindsight been able to learn from them and glean from them and whatever they did or didn't do for me, I, I learned it on my own. But um, suffice it to say it was going to get done one way or another. And it um, obviously it did. And then from there, just, you know, my father-in-law looking at me saying, hey, people need help just because there are, they have our billing software. It doesn't mean they get paid. You should go do that. <laughs> and I'm in my, you know, maybe mid-20s. And I said, all right, I can do that. I'll try it. I'll try it. He says, I, if, I, if he thinks I can, then I can. So that's how I started. Um, and I have been doing some variation of that ever since. So lucky me. One of the cool things uh, I love, and we'll probably get into this later, but you're always reading, and I, I, I probably listen to you speak because you're you're going to the med trades or uh, the local associations, and I, I love you. you're like, hey, I just read this, or hey, I read this, and I have. If you saw my shelf, I have a all the Harvard Business Reviews, and that's there just because it was like five years ago you brought that up, and I'm like, that is so brilliant. But that's yep. just one of the many things because you're always looking, and you know, next time I, I see you, you'll be like, hey, I found this. This is worth it. And it's those yep. little things, and they build on each other, and they build, and they build, and they build, which is just, you know, hey, leaders are readers, and we always need to build on what we already know. What's funny is I think of you as that person, ironically. Um, the fact that you have your leaders reading, I think it's like up towards, upwards towards five books or something, I find that fascinating because most people don't read. And so by 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 actually imploring them to do that, you are expanding them and making it so that they stand out and giving them this opportunity that they might not otherwise have. And I feel like it's like almost giving them this new lease. And I, I always marvel at that, that you can have that happen. I know I've said this to you before, but I need to echo that now because it really makes a difference. Um, learning what other people have done that just, you know, had them expand their thinking and gave them the opportunity to maybe be a leader they wouldn't have otherwise been. Um, I was, if it's okay to launch into a leadership, oh, please do. I don't know if you're going to Please do. Okay. Well, well, my, my next question is, what I, do you want to learn in 2020 or jump into leadership? What, do you, oh, what are you thinking? Fantastic. Per perfect question. First of all, I have a book for you. <laughs> sitting in my, because I always bring a book just in case my computer's down. Um, Crucial Conversations. Um, the forward is by Stephen Covey and it's tools for talking when stakes are high. 
you will love it and you'll eat it up. And I'm in the middle of it and it's a very quick read. But I think um, that, that might be, if I had to say this is one, it's, it's good for personal and for um, professional conversations. It's a really, really important one. So there's a book for you. Um, and then secondly, last night I was privileged to attend a Pepperdine University um, business school talk on success and leadership. And the president of um, Kellogg Company um, spoke. I could, I, I took so many notes. I was so enamored by him. His name is Steve Kehalani. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, but he spoke about, what I loved about him is his ability to speak about finance and then at the same time talk about the need to be human and to honor your people and to serve your people and I was fascinated by that he was obviously extremely articulate but I really liked what he was down to earth and one of the things he said about leaders that and when people he said people often ask me what I should read he had a different answer so maybe in 2020, I need to think more outside the box. I do a lot of um, reading of fiction for a book group I'm in where we do historical fiction reading. And I learned so much from there as well. But he said something even a step beyond that. He said, I am a student of history. I read historical figures like MLK and Churchill. Leaders are selfless. They're gracious in taking on things. Um, and they pick emerging talent that way by looking for people that emulate leaders that we think of. He said, I, you know, I can't just, it's not just about me. It's about what made our country what it is. It's about who made our history what it is. That to me is motivating. And I loved that. So I want to say maybe in 2020, I could expand by learning more from history makers um, than just these kinds of business books that I also love and I won't stop reading, but maybe expand my thinking um, beyond just the typical business book. Cool. That sounds exciting. I I can't wait for the Mm -hmm. next story of what you're going to incorporate and what they learned. And um, that'll just be, that'll be amazing. Um, So now when you, when you coach people and uh, so full disclaimer, you've been coaching not only me the last two years, but I've had you coaching my COO, my uh, VP, as well as my rehab team lead. So you, not only do you coach me, Eric, what are you working on? You're doing that with my entire staff. Do you have a personal philosophy on how, how you coach? And, and, and I guess another question, why does it work? Because I mean, I wouldn't, you know, be coaching with you. It doesn't, why do you think it works the way you do it? So I think for me, what I love is learning about other people. And most important is to listen. And I'm going to actually, it came to fruition last night with this speaker. Um, He said that if he had to think of one skill that he would suggest people employ, he would say, listening, be curious and ask questions. And I love learning about people. So I want to know what makes Eric tick different from Christina and from Nat. And once I figure out what makes you tick, I want to strengthen your strengths. So I feel like my job is to meet you where you are, not where I want to be. 
So when I said to you at the beginning, you know, I found it fascinating that I worked with a company where the leader wasn't so interested in day-to-day operations and really didn't, would rather it just work and not have to deal with it. I'm challenged by that. And by the way, it might have been a low, but when after I left and I got on the plane, I thought, you know, that's a great challenge, Miriam. You have to meet him where he needs to be met. It's not about you. It's not about what your momentum is. It's not about what you drive for. It's not your enthusiasm. It's not your wish and your dream. It's He has his own. And you have to honor and respect that. So I try to meet people where they are, not where I would want to be. Oh, that's good. And, and, and the, the thing is, that's totally true because even at our company, I will talk with Christina and Nat, who you also consult with, and I'll be like, what do you talk with Mary about? It's drastically different than where you're going with me because you meet us where we're at. Now you mm-hmm. also find out where we're at and you're like, hey, here are your goals for the next month or hey, let's work on your goals mm-hmm. for the next month. You're still pushing us, mm-hmm. but you meet us where we're at. And that's, you know, I even think of my kids. My goals for my seven-year-old are obviously different than my 16-year-old high school sophomore because the maturity mm-hmm. in life experience is different. But that's 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 brilliant from um, – your side. So tell me, thinking all the way back, you know, I'm not saying five, 10, 50, or even 30 years, what's the hardest consulting job you've ever done? Like, I can't believe I took that on. And, or just what's the hardest one you have ever done? I have a couple of, um, I can't, I can't say there's one. There's a few that come to mind. Um, One was a place I went to many, many years ago. I bet I was fairly young and I, didn't screen them well enough because when I got there, I'll never forget it. I realized shortly after I arrived that they hired me to just tell them how great they were and not to help solve a problem and not to challenge themselves to improve, but just to pat them on the back. And I felt like I wasted their time and money and resources because that's not what I do. And I felt ashamed that that I didn't catch it. But I learned from it, and I learned how not to do that again and to better screen and qualify the people with whom I consult. So that was a definite challenge and one of the hardest things I had to do because I had to stay. I was there already. Um, Second one that comes to mind is one where I got to this company, Eric, and if I tell you, I can picture it still vividly. There was like aluminum foil in the windows, and it felt like they were – Okay, they they didn't have bars, but they had aluminum foil in the windows. And I walked in and they said that they had a respiratory company down at the other end of the strip mall, but we couldn't see in there either. And when I asked if I could see the inventory, they didn't have any, nor would they ever have any. And when I asked if I could talk to the people, they barely let me in. And once they did let me in, I basically watched them, you know, the telemarketing commercials you see on TV where you know it's being done unethically mm-hmm. i was there okay i oh, was no. in one of those companies um to the point where they they would call the patient and say oh you need this supply well don't you also have ever have a bad knee or does your leg you have a foot problem why don't we get you our other device we'll go ahead and call your doctor and by the way when we call you we'd like to give you a code never talk to any other company You'll know it's the right company if we give you a code. Oh, And we're going to give you a code. Your name is Judy123. If you don't hear someone ask you for your code, don't answer those telemarketers. They're not the right company. I 
literally walked out of there and I felt filthy, physically filthy. And I thought, Miriam, how could you dare go into a company like that? You can't, I, I got to walk, I, got, I had to go take a shower. And then my whole report was you better seek counsel because I, I could not believe they were, they were literally still around in the, and it wasn't that long ago. And I thought, first of all, thank God it's only one day, but that one, I, I, I don't know if it's, I have no idea if it's still around. I really hope not. Um, so that was on a, on a very just filthy level. It felt just to, to me disgusting because all I care about is integrity. Yes, you and then do. the last one that was really challenging, but such a great challenge in the end was I was an expert witness um, in a lawsuit against a um, insurance company where they were paying the wrong rates. And they, and I had to pour over documents starting with the social security act all the way through to 2016 reimbursement under Medicare. And it, um, I, I must've spent somewhere between like 70 and 80 hours studying and researching and equipping myself so that I could go through seven hours of testimony um, from a judge. And then the judge didn't know anything about DME and I had to tell him the story in words and then let opposing counsel try to sort of um, dupe him. And so that was a really, really harrowing experience. I was extremely nervous, which I don't get. It wasn't that many years ago. And um, I was so challenged by it, but it did turn out okay in the end, and um, I got through it, but it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. Definitely. Wow. Now, on the flip side, what's the best one? You just literally knocked it out of the park. You, you know, they threw you a you know, fastball or a curveball, and you pulled it and, it, it, and it sailed in a way that just said, that's awesome. I taught them. Oh, they wow. got it, and they, they are now teaching. What's an example? You know, there's one that comes to mind. There are so many, but the one that comes to mind is one I was recently at um, in the fall this year. Um, there's a company where they are sort of newly in, into our seg- segment of the industry. They're, they've been in other related industries, and they had a fresh mind. Um, they were not tainted by reimbursement woes. They were sure that they could make a difference, and they were going to get ahead. They weren't just a little sure, they were a lot sure. So it was great to be able to go in and look at their flow and process um, and software and people and figure out a way to be able to scale the company because they were going to go and grow. And they didn't know if they were going to be acquiring people or they were going to grow organically, but they were going to get financing if they needed to. They were poised to take on the world and become a regional player almost overnight. And guess what? They have. Um, it's really impressive. They secured their financing um, just at the end of the year, and um, they're ready to go. So I loved the – a lot of it has to do with the fact that their leadership was so um, on top of their game. They never missed a beat. If they had to be in the weeds, they would be, but they really wanted to grow the company. They did both. They understood the need to really solidify and shore up the order to cash process as it existed. It was fantastic. That's encouraging. Um, I, I think I'm going to I'm going to throw you a curveball right here. But every time I've heard you speak to a large group, almost always one question comes up, and the one question that I always hear asked of you: What do we do about the team members or employees that just are not cutting it? Because we all have those in our 
company, how do you decide? So as you come into these companies, and let's 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 say the leadership is sound, they want to improve. What do you do with those employees that you're not sure if they're cutting it? They show some potential, but they still do stupid. What do you do with those uh, team members as you consult with those companies? What what recommendation could you give them? I'm going to say this to you, and this is again came from last night. People who want to perform want structure and accountability. And so you have somebody there on your staff who is all about that. You know exactly who it is. Mm -hmm. And if you find that leader who is poised to take that on and to develop goals within each department and perhaps engaging with the staff to, to actually create the goals because then they'll buy it, then you start to see how long it takes on average to get to the goal or not or how long it takes to perform the task or not, what percentage gets accomplished, what would it look like if they could, you know, get this automated or that done more easily or streamlined, how much more could we gain so that you make sure that you're on target for what maximum productivity would be. They get the tools and resources, they engage in the conversation and the exercise, and then you set the goal and then you measure against it. Give them a couple months to ramp it up and then you start to hold them accountable but with their input. So they've owned it. Now they got to perform. And so the outliers basically kind of know themselves because it's quantifiable. They're going to know whether or not they're cutting it. And so when you have a group of people who are motivated and committed and want the structure and, and want the accountability, inevitably it becomes more popular to perform than, than to not perform. And those that don't perform will either go away themselves or they're going to have to ante up and, uh, and get more training and remedial, per, perhaps some remediation by their supervisor or a colleague till they get to where they have to go. And if they can't cut it, they probably are in the wrong seat or in the wrong company. Yep. So right. accountability is really where it's at. We we use the we use the frame. We want thoroughbreds, not donkeys. And you know, donkeys can kind of be nice, but thoroughbreds don't like hanging out with donkeys, and donkeys don't like hanging mm-hmm. out with thoroughbreds. So you might as well. Hopefully, you end up with a company full of thoroughbreds, uh, yep. and not the other way around. And you know, they don't like hanging out with each other because the thoroughbreds make the donkeys look like well donkeys, and yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, though, this guy last night, just just to finish this up, this guy last night said, good people want to be held accountable. I thought that was fascinating. I like that. Good good people want to be held accountable. They, they're screaming for structure. They want to have something expected of them. They don't know where to go otherwise. So I really like that. Cool. So tell me, who should reach out to you for your services? You know, you, you, you talk to a lot of companies, you talk to a lot of individuals. Um, who should who should who should call Miriam and say, hey, Miriam, I think you could help me? I think people that are open to um, improvement and change. I don't think it's good for people that really, like I said, that that one place I went and they really didn't want to know. They just wanted someone to come pat them on the back. I'm the wrong one. Um, but if you want to change and improve and you want to collaborate um, and you want to work with someone who's organic in their thinking um, and isn't a cookie cutter kind of person, that would be me. I'm, a, I'm not the typical like accounting firm that comes in. I'm not the typical kind of firm that comes in and has a cookie cutter kind of a, a tailor-made report. Mine is made for you um, because it's not about me. It's about you. And I don't believe that, you know, every company is the same. So 
I like to get into the bowels of the company and better understand it. So someone who really wants an assessment or who wants someone to work with them who's going to get into the nitty-gritty of what goes on in your company with your people at their level. And likewise, I always like to know the future as, as everyone else does. And, you know, no one knows the future, but we can, we, we, we can take – we can take some we can take some really good educated guesses about the future. What, what do you think this current year looks like? I mean, nothing's our reimbursement number is going to be exactly where where they are pretty much this entire year. Nothing's changed. What do you think twenty twenty looks like for um, home healthcare companies like mine and others uh, as they're uh, navigating this world we live in? You know, a lot of people say it's kind of like a lame duck year because we're waiting for. Um, 2021 competitive bid, but I don't think so. I don't think we should be waiting. I think we need to be simulating what strategy we're going to use to get into, uh, you know, an environment where we know the referral's going to get, going to care about value. We know that the payers care about value, and we know that in order for us to continue to be reimbursed, we're going to have to be part of the value proposition. So I believe 2020 is about creating value within the patient community, the, provide, the, the referral community, and the payer community. If you can start to focus on that and figure out what it is they need to make their jobs easier and how to make that patient feel like they're improving their quality of life and they're not having to go back to the hospital, that's what we should be focusing on. What can we do? And by the way, you better look inside first because if your people aren't going to help themselves and can't work within their environment, they're not going to help anyone else. So you guys have done a masterful job at really zeroing in on what the people in your organization need first so that they can help other people. It's very hard to help others if you don't feel secure in your own. There's there's a lot of truth in that. And one of the things is I'm, um, for better or worse, I've stumbled upon a lot of people who love to improve and I would always tell people, be very careful of who you judge because outward experience you know, outward appearance doesn't always single signal what goes on inside the head. And when you, uh, people that I, I learn more and i maybe you're the same way. I learn more from people that I teach them. I swear I am always learning and just, I, I just find it amazing. So always look inside first. And, um, sometimes it's painful and other times you're like, well, that, that was, that was really, really good. And obviously your people have so much to impart. They give you so much information that you can glean off of and then make decisions as a result. So always look inside first. There's a wealth of information that we sometimes neglect to look into. And I, I think sometimes it's that we got to be outside lookers in and it's hard to do. Agree. Agree. Well, hey, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Uh, you have a wonderful uh, family commitment, but I want to just uh, thank you so much, A, for investing in me and my company, even when I was this you know, little pup, um, having no idea what a hit pick code or this and that and DME, and you were nice <laughs> just talking to me at a cardinal event back in 2005 to um, really walking with our company. So I just wanted to you know, publicly thank you for that, Miriam. Of course. I loved working with your staff. I think they're fantastic. I love how different they all are, one from the other, and that's what makes the world go round. That's why you guys are so successful. Um, you guys have so many talents, and um, I can't wait to see your strengths get stronger, and that's how you succeed.
Super. And at the bottom of this episode, I'm also going to not only publish your uh, your contact info that you'd like me to share, but I'm also going to put a link to Crucial Conversations. I'm actually aware of that book. The book's amazing. Oh, good. Oh, good. Absolutely good, good, amazing. Good. And it's actually one of our five required reading books for my executives. So when you said that, <laughs> I'm just it. like, no wonder why we get along. And we hadn't even talked about this. You can't be an executive oh, with us God. until you've read oh, that book. God. So you, you hit the nail on the head. So everyone, That's if awesome. you are actually even if you're not a leader read this because it teaches you how to have those conversations that we all have to have it will at least give you the tools to engage in whatever verbal judo that you have to get into either with you know customers patients bosses people underneath you it's an amazing book amazing book Fantastic. And I'm smiling from ear to ear. So there you go. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much, Miriam. I appreciate yes. you and uh, just course. wish you the best of luck this year. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Take care. Talking with Miriam, I am so glad it's not 2005 anymore. And she just, she, she talks forcefully because she is so brilliant. And that is what I love about talking uh, to and with Miriam Lieber. So thank you so much, Miriam. If uh, you would like to get in touch Miriam, w- with Miriam in the show notes, you can go to LieberConsulting.com or email her at Miriam at LieberConsulting.com. Um, one thing I love about Miriam is she is so pro-growth and she is pro-home healthcare industry. She wants everyone to succeed that she interacts with. And it's just so neat to see people like Miriam care for other people. Next week, we are going to go through the best way to argue at work. Argue absolutely. There are great ways to have arguments, to allow your team members to share in the vision, increase productivity, and and thoroughly love their job. DME Coach is also offering a free in-depth business assessment for the first three business leaders to contact us this month. We will do an assessment over the course of three monthly one-hour phone calls evaluating your business. If you are interested, go to dmecoach.com and send us an email. So until next week, take great care of your customers and even better care of your team members.